When we were eight years old, when we were nine years old, we dreamed of playing in Brian Denny Stadium against Alabama when we were kids. And, and now we're, we've been blessed with the opportunity to go do that. Welcome back to another exclusive episode of the Pod of Aggieland, starring your host, yours truly, Chase Lane, number two in the field, number one in y'all's hearts. As always, you know, got the nice interviews with the special guest. I'll be looking forward to introducing him later on in the show. But as always, let's start it off with the quote of the day. So I wanted to choose something about happiness and I think happiness is just so vital because it's it's a choice. Happiness is a choice always at the end of the day. So the quote of the day is, happiness is when what you think, what you say, and what you do are in harmony. I'll say it again. Happiness is when what you think, what you say, and what you do are in harmony. And that's by Mahatma Gandhi. So let's break it down a little bit. Uh, like I said, happiness is is a choice, and um, I think sometimes when you when you remove yourself from from the the situations that you are in life, and you really put things into perspective, yes, we all go through personal battles, and we all go through things that are hard. But uh, I I was brought up on the phrase that uh, you got it a lot better than every like you got it a lot better than some people, and it could always be worse. You know, so whenever I'm going through something that I think is just ah, oh, so, so just I'm down and out, and I don't know how I'm gonna get through this. I always just tell myself at the end of the day, it could it could always be worse. And uh, I was brought up on that, and it's, it's really got me through a lot of tough times in my life. And you know, in I hate when people say like ah, oh, like you're going through that, like I'm going through this, like trying to compare hardships. But instead of comparing hardships, I feel like we should all realize and you know just recognize the all the problems that we do go through as human beings but then at the end of the day realizing that it could always be worse and to always give thanks to god so that's the quote man i'll say it again happiness is when when you think what you say and what you do are in harmony so let that marinate in your head a little bit and you know like i always say if you want to talk about it come hit me up man hit me up on, on my instagrams hit me up on the pot at Aggieland. And, uh, you know, I'm always willing to talk. I love to talk. So uh, let's move forward. As everybody knows, we have the Alabama Crimson Tide coming up this Saturday. Uh, great opponent, quality team. Like I always say, I always have to show respect to my uh, to my opponents and who were playing that week. But, uh, you know, you know, you know, uh, we're no strangers to Alabama. Alabama is no strangers to us. Um, we got them last year at home after a, after a loss to Mississippi State. So, uh, you know, they say history repeats itself, but uh, we, we got to go up there and we still got to execute. Um, practices look really good for us this week, I feel like. Um, like I said, it's always hard to come back and regroup after a loss, especially after a loss that we took um, against Mississippi State. But guys are um, practicing hard. Their their heads are in the right place. And it, it just seems that, like, guys are just really eager to just go out there and compete. I always come back to competing and, and wanting to go compete and just trying to put the best product on the field, but uh, I'm not going to get into all the negativity and everything that has gone wrong for us this season, because like I said, in my last episode, 
every day presents a new opportunity and a new challenge to go be better. So, yeah, look, we got two losses. So instead of sitting here and sulking about the season that we we thought we should have had, let's look forward and change the narrative on our seasons and say, look, yes, we are three and two. But now that gives us the opportunity to go ruin a lot of people's Christmases. So we can be that team that spoils on other teams' hopes of making the playoff and um, being undefeated and, and winning the conference. So, like I said, like, let's just go play ball, man. Like, at the end of the day, God has blessed us with the gifts and the talents and the intuition to go out there and, and play football every Saturday. And I feel like so many times um, when you when you are experiencing uh, things that are, aren't going your way. We just get so sidetracked, but this is a blessing. We get to go out there and play football. Like this is still a game at the end of the day. And I know social media has, has overtaken a lot of that and has created so many stresses for athletes like myself and just so many athletes around the country. But I feel like when you just get back to the basics, man, and just realize like, look, when you were a kid, when we were eight years old, when we were nine years old, we dreamed of playing in Brian Denny stadium against Alabama when we were kids. And and now we're, we've been blessed with the opportunity to go do that. So I've really just trying to take that approach, man. Like I said, my production hasn't been where I have wanted it to be. But look, man, like I'm still blessed and I'm given the opportunity every day. God has waking me up, woken me up. I don't, sorry for, if I'm preaching, but God has welcomed me up every day to go out there and play a sport that I love playing. So why not be happy? Why not choose happiness? And, and I'm tying that back in to the quote of the day, but why not choose happiness, man? Like this is a game we all grew up loving to play. So let's just go out there and just try to make God smile. So sorry if I sounded like pastor lane for a little bit, but uh, moving on, we get back to the, get back to the basics of the podcast. So, um, you know, I would be a fool if I didn't mention the, the back and forth that coach Fisher and, and coach Saban had in, in regards to NIL and, and buying players and, uh, buying recruiting classes and, and this, that, and the third. And, um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm always going to say the right stuff. So you, you guys can't get a quote out on me, but, uh, it seems that coach Fisher and, and coach Saban have, have squashed their beef, you know, and I just feel like, you know, those guys go way back. And, and coach Fisher was an assistant at LSU with coach uh, Saban back in 2003. They've won national championships together. They've won SEC championships together. So, you know, there, there's a lot of history within that relationship. And, uh, you know, they faced off when, when, when Coach Fisher was at Florida State. And, you know, they faced off uh, when, in, while Coach uh, Fisher's been at Texas A&M. So, you know, that's just the heat of it. Um, I, I'm, I'm a guy who doesn't really like to get into distractions and, you know, let that be my focus going into a big game. But, you know, you know those, that's expected from those two. They're, they're, they go way back. There's a lot of history. Uh, Coach Fisher seems to be past it. Coach Saban seems to be past it. So, um, yeah, from from my perspective, though, from when it first came out, it was kind of like, oh, snap. Like, Coach Saban really said that on, on live television. And then uh, I, I remember we got, like, a like a, a notification on Twitter that Coach Fisher, because he had, like, scheduled, like, a random uh, press conference. And we had an off day. So I had woke up early that morning so I could watch the press conference, and then I saw Coach Fisher um, that he did his little rant and I was just watching it like, Ooh, like, Ooh, this is going to be spicy when we see them in October. But yeah, man, it's just, you, you live for it. And I think it just adds to just the excitement of college football and, you know, everybody likes the, from the outside, everybody likes seeing the, the back and forth, the beefs, the, 
the the bickering. But you know, as players, we also you know it it kind of gets us ready to go out there and play too. So, um, yeah, even though the coaches have squashed it, it's still fresh on everybody's mind. Obviously, because you know social media is really going to be bringing up these next couple of days until we play them. But yeah, I think both teams are really just excited to just go play each other. You know, just put all that to rest. You know what I mean? So just going out there and just competing hard. And, you know, if we're going to give Alabama our best shot and, and they're going to give us their best shot. So it's going out there and competing. And then hopefully uh, if we are victors, if we if we go there and execute the way I know we can, then, uh, yeah, we can put all that to rest and, and, and we'll look like the good guys again. So, uh, yeah, really, really excited for this weekend, man. Now, let me let me give you guys a, a deep dive into the Alabama Crimson Tide. Here's a fun fact. And I don't know if I'm going to be, uh, what's the word? I'm going to be shamed for saying this, but I actually grew up a major fan of Alabama. Like a major fan. Like that was my team up until my freshman year of high school. Like that's how big of a fan I was. And uh, I think that's mainly because my dad, he got one of his degrees. I don't know what degree it was, but he got one of his degrees from the University of Alabama. And um, I was only like eight or nine years old when he did. And just being at his graduation, being down there in Tuscaloosa, it's a beautiful place. It's a beautiful campus. Um, they really, really nice, really good people down there. And um, it just seemed like, you know, everyone just rallies around their team, kind of similar to how we do here in, at Texas A&M. So uh, I remember growing up, you know, watching AJ McCarron, watching Amari Cooper, watching Blake Sims, watching Kevin Norwood watching DJ Hall, all these guys. I can name off so many rosters from the Alabama teams in, in the past and going to so many games. I saw Alabama in the Sugar Bowl like so many years in a row whenever they would go. And uh, those were just some of the best moments of my childhood. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I used to say roll tide roll. Uh, big Alabama fan. My dream school was to go to Alabama or OU. But, uh, yeah, I'm happy though that I ended up at Texas A&M, and I'm happy that I am on the Aggie side and I'm happy that the Aggies have embraced me, but yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there. Hopefully I don't get uh bashed and hopefully y'all don't stop listening to the podcast because I said roll tide, but you know, yeah, I, I you know, on this show, I like to keep it real. So uh, yeah, let's just talk about Alabama um, talented group. Um, You know, Bryce young returning reigning Heisman trophy winner day to day. Don't know if he's going to play. Coach Saban's been saying, oh, he's day to day, but, I think he's going to play just because, you know, it's a, it's a big game and they want to be at their strongest. So I expect Bryce Young to play. But, yeah, they have a great, great, great quarterback. Uh, Jameer Gibbs out of the backfield, he has exploded for them. Um, last week against Arkansas, he had like three touchdowns of 70-plus yards, and he's just a rock out of the backfield. It's kind of similar to what we have in Devon Chain. But, yeah, they have a lot of uh, good playmakers around um, Bryce Young on, on the offense side of the ball. And, you know, on the on – the, on the defense side of the ball, who stands out off rip is Will Anderson. Uh, could have easily been a Heisman contender last year and uh, probably the best edge rusher in the country. So he, he stands off the board at first. You know, they got Kool-Aid McKinstry in the secondary um, branch, uh, Malachi Moore. They got, they got a, they're a talented group. And, um, you know, it's I'm not going to sugarcoat it. They're a really good team. And um, they they have uh, been successful thus far this season, and uh, yeah, like I said, I'm just ready to just go out there and compete. And just for me, I have some extra motivation just because 
Alabama didn't offer me. They weren't one of the schools that offered me. And like I said, that was one of my dream schools. So I remember my first time playing in, in Bryant-Denny Stadium two years ago. It was my first game ever against Alabama, and I was starting. I went out there, and I had like seven catches for like 80-something yards. And even though we lost, I just felt so accomplished, man, because I was like – and just like talking to my parents after the game, I was just like, like that. I really went out there and like played good against Alabama. Like we – had these talks when I was a kid, like going there and playing at Brian Denny Stadium, and I actually went up there and did it. So it, it it came full circle for me, and and you know, just I'm really excited to just travel to down to Tuscaloosa again, man, and just and, and take that all in again because, um, like I said, I'm just blessed to be in the position that I'm in, and you know, just and just continuing on Brian Denny Stadium, uh, just with the the back and forth with Coach Fisher and Coach Saban, and it being a night game. I just know that the energy is going to be through the roof. And um, actually, Brian Denny Stadium hasn't really been a stadium that has like stood out to me in terms of like, like being like, I don't want to use like clickbait, but like being like that rowdy place. Obviously, they have a good fan presence, but um, I feel like this game is going to be a little different just because of the history with our coaches and uh, just uh, by the fact that we had got them last year. So I know their fans are going to be coming ready to play, but also, them Aggies are going to travel well. So don't be surprised if you hear a bunch of Aggies uh, on third down when Bryce Young is on offense because I know we're going to travel well for this game like we do for any game. So really looking forward to just being a part of the atmosphere and just being in that space, man, and just going to there and competing. And I know I, I kind of touched base on it in my last episode of just about how my production hasn't been like where I, where I wanted wanted it to be, but just playing in this game, playing in a place like Brian Denny Stadium, taking in that air and that that cold, that cool October weather, <clears throat> it just motivates me even more to just be prepared to go out there and play whenever my number is called, man. And I hope a lot of guys are just taking that same mindset because you only get so many of these games. And Coach Fisher always says, you're only guaranteed 12 opportunities a season. So it's up to us to make the most of those 12 opportunities. And this is number six for us. So um, let's not take – I hope my message to the team would be just to let's not take this one for granted, man. We've already taken two for granted. And, yes, the the, the chance of us winning um, the SEC West do become more slim because of our record. It doesn't mean that we can, we can, we can still um, have the kind of season that we want to have. So let's just go out there, man, play hard. I know for one, I'm going to be playing hard, and let's just just go try to make AM proud, make our families proud, make ourselves proud, and then make God proud. So, um, I don't know. I kind of felt like a pastor with this episode, <laughs> but uh, yeah, just that was just coming from the heart, man. Um, I, I really feel like I got a good feeling about this week, honestly, and um, I'm really just eager to go out there and just compete and just just have fun doing it so um without further ado uh, i would like to transition over to my special guest for this episode uh, mr jonathan wallace and we, we will be back after this break and now without further ado i would like to introduce my guest for today's episode um he's a been a mentor in my life and uh he's been going professionally throughout his career so um, I present you guys, Mr. Jonathan Wallace. I have a little a little background on Jonathan. He is a native of Rayville, Louisiana, 
He earned his bachelor's in kinesiology in 2016, and he got his master's in sports admin in 2017, both from Grambling State. He was a four-year letter winner on the G-Men football team. He also earned his MBA from LSU Shreveport in 2021, and he is now the director of admissions for the Athletics Administration Office at Texas A&M. Mr. Jonathan Wallace, thank you very much for coming on the show. Yes, sir. Chase, thank you for having me. Let me correct you. It's Director of Administrator. Administration, not admission. Okay, good, 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 good. Correct me, correct me. So uh, let's just get right into it. I got some some, uh, good questions lined up for you. So my first question is, uh, when you first arrived at Texas A&M, you were an uh, academic advisor for freshman football players. Uh, why did you take it upon yourself to not only be an academic mentor, but be a big brother mentor role for so many of us? I think for me, it was finding my way, finding how to navigate the spaces at Texas A&M and trying to see how I would be able to add the most value to my job. And one thing that I take to heart is that when somebody comes to college and I'm overseeing them, that it's my responsibility to help them get to that next level. So innately, it's something that was naturally within me. That was how I operated when I was a student athlete and how I took to some of the younger guys and you know took them under my wing. And I saw opportunity to do that at Texas A&M to be that much more effective in what I was doing day to day, because we all know that the more you know somebody, the more you mentor somebody, the more they'll do for you. And in that moment, I just needed people to go to class, turn in homework, all those kinds of things. But those relationships throughout the years have continued to grow. And I'm Really grateful. Most definitely. Most definitely. Uh, So moving on, um, I know we talk about this little one-on-one, but just for the fans to know, why do you think it is so important for young Black athletes to recognize their worth uh, off the field? Because it can diminish very, very fast if you focus on it on the field and it doesn't work out that way. I'm not a, a believer of somebody that says that you shouldn't want to be an NFL player, you shouldn't want to be the best athlete that you can be on the field, but do know that you have more within you. And then more more often than not, you're going to spend longer in your life not being an athlete than you will be. And so there should definitely be time invested in what does that life look like, whether I'm preparing for it when I'm 18 or whether I get hit right in the face at 24, 25, and I'm still trying to figure out life. As long as you're working towards those building blocks and understanding that this one day will end, then I think that when the time comes time to transition, then you'll be in a much better place. Yeah, and I and I know that I've been able to grasp that part of uh, life and, and that realization. But uh, can you just add why do you think it might be so hard for just so many young black athletes to recognize that piece that one day that uh, sports will end for them one day? Yes, and this was something that I used to talk to our student athlete engagement team about when I moved into that role after being an academic advisor, is that it's essentially erasing someone's identity of a life that they don't even know. And so it's hard for them to mentally process what life is like for something they've been only doing for, you know, 15, 20 years, uh, so to speak. The earlier you start, the longer that you're in it and you don't know any other way. So to try to prepare for a life that you, you don't know, it's really, really hard. So what my approach was, is that let's not try to erase their identity of what they cling to and who they know themselves to be and who people know them to be. Let's try to build within that identity already so that those those building blocks for what they'll need when they're no longer a competing athlete will already be there. Yeah. 
Most definitely. Most definitely. Okay, so moving forward, you now serve as a director of administration where you manage the day-to-day operations of the uh, athletics administration office. You've grown professionally, and I've already said that so many times throughout your time here at A&M. What is it about yourself that allows you to continue to progress in your professional career? It starts with discipline. And this was something that I really didn't understand until I got into college. And I understood that that was going to be a separator between those who, one, made it from high school to college, but two, college to that next level in their life. And it's something that I I stick to to this day. If you ask me what my core values are, discipline is going to be the number one thing because it is that the, the small little details that you do day in and day out that separate you. And I've been fortunate enough to be in, uh, under some great leadership and be put in some spaces to be able to perform. And every time I get that opportunity, I express that I owe it to the person that gave me the opportunity. So I have to show up, I have to shine. And essentially, I know whenever I leave this earth, all I leave with is my name. And so how do I want to be remembered? I don't believe in putting half effort into something that has my name on it. I want people to remember me for someone that that gave it their all. They were trustworthy. You know, they produced results and they really loved what they did. And so anytime my name is attached to something, anytime I'm given an opportunity, it's not just for me. You know, I want to create opportunities for those who are coming after me. And when I had my interview at Texas A&M at 23 years old, which was completely unheard of, I took it uh, as a sense of I have to kill this interview. So the next person after me at least gets a call back, at least gets their resume looked at. Because if I'm sloppy in my approach, then it messes it up for someone else. Oh, I, I did not know that you had your interview at the ripe age of 23 years old. That's very impressive. So moving forward, we've talked a little a little bit about your um, growth in your professional career off the field, but um, I don't think a lot of people know that back in 2016, you were a member of the Grambling State team that won the national championship. And, you know, just seeing the kind of ups and downs in the roller coaster season that we've been having this year at Texas A&M, what advice could you offer to this Aggie football team of 2022 being a national championship, being a national championship uh, player and just being on those kind of teams? Man, just reflecting on the year 2016, I when I say I'm not lying, when I say there's not a day that goes by where I don't think about something that happened within that year that helped me to get to where I am now. And it really starts with my freshman year of college, the adversity that we went through uh, as a as a freshman class. And when we we got to our senior year, we no longer wanted to just win football games. You know, we no longer wanted to just play for our coaches, play for our fans, play for our universities. Uh, We wanted to play for each other. And until you get around a group of people who can make that impact on the field, who want to play for the person next to them, then Results are going to be very, very all over the place. And so approaching that year, we we just made a commitment to each other. It was like, we are all we have. We have been through a lot and we owe it to ourselves to leave a, a great impression on what this program is supposed to be from where we inherited it. And that's just something that we did. And I would say to this team here, man, it's a it's a brotherhood. It's not something that that lasts very long. And to play in college football in today's world, I I have no clue what it's like because there's so many different barriers to where there is division that's automatically created if you look at it that way. But until you can join together as brothers at a level of 
I got your back and you, you go out day in, day in, day out and prove that, then the, then results are going to be what the results are. But yeah, just locking in with each other, man, and really understanding what that actually means. It helps. It definitely helps. It makes it much easier to, to lay out for a pass where you could just stretch your arm out. And if you catch it, oh, well, or it, it, it makes a difference when you want to go chase down a running back after somebody has blown an assignment, like you cover for your brother. Those are the little things that have to happen within the locker room that'll show up on the field. Uh, yeah, you talked about just uh, be- just bring- building that brotherhood and just, you know, making that bond. And like you said, that when you have that bond, uh, you do so many things that you don't even think about. Like you said, just like instead of stretching out your hands for a pass, you're going to make it, you're going to make a diving play for that pass. You're going to chase that guy down to do a, such, a touchdown saving tackle. And I feel like we are missing that component on our team thus far because yes, we do have a lot of young guys on this squad and they don't really understand the, um, the necessity and the urgency of sacrificing for each other and, you know, just, just playing for each other. And, you know, we just get so caught up in the social media and, and what and what people are saying about us and you know who's on the list of like being all SEC and things like that and you know some coming some of that just stems from you know just complacency and um you know just trying to just you know like I, I gotta get to the league I gotta get to the league but um from the sounds of that team it sounds like you guys are really just where your feet were and you guys are really just focused on you know just going out with a bang and like I said you guys went 12 and 1 I believe Mm-hmm. Went twelve yep. and one, you know. Went on and won the national championship. You know, uh, nobody will ever be able to take that away from you guys, and uh, they don't give them rings out to nobody. You got to earn them. So, uh, moving forward, um, you've had many opportunities to work at other institutions. I, for one, you've told me on the low. But what is it about Texas A and M that um, makes you keep coming back to it? And you know, it's just why is this the right place for you right now in your career? Yes, and it goes back to just feeling feeling valued. You know, every time I think about why I got the opportunity here and the people that took me in and wanted to show me the ropes and understood where I wanted to get to in my career, they've done more than enough to just give me opportunities to 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 excel. And that's hard to find in today's age because so many people are out to just, all right, I'm going to be here for a year. I'll be here for two years and then I'll go. But are you really developing? Are you really, really, you know, working towards your goal in the way that you should get there in order to be able to sustain it at that level? And fortunately enough for me, I've been at Texas A&M. Uh, this is my fourth school year. And it seems like each year more and more responsibilities are added to me. But it's because somebody is giving me that opportunity to showcase a different level of my either expertise or my hunger in my field. And so feeling valued here, uh, it's a great place for me to be able to grow. And eventually there, it, it may come a day where some of my mentors are like, all right, it's time to make that next step. It's time to venture out on your own and bring someone else along. But until I get to that day, I'll see myself being planted here in College Station at Texas A&M because I love what I do. I love who I do it for. And I love the people around me. And I think that's so vital and just with anything you do in life, uh, when you when you have that why and you have that and the reason why you and you know, like you said, you love what you're doing, you love what you're doing it for. I feel like just having this good people around you can make work not even feel like work at that point. And like you said, I feel like from the from the things that you said, it just sounds like you found your passion and it sounds like it sounds like you found your niche here at Texas A and M thus far. And uh, you know, just to see you grow as a big brother, I've been really and extraordinarily proud of you just for your growth and 
uh, seeing you just knock off things off of your to-do list, like it seems. And, uh, you know, it just seems like you're you're really on a good track here at Texas A&M. So I commend you on that. So moving forward, it. Uh, having known you for a good amount of time, I know that you're a strong advocate for mental health. So why do you think it is so important that mental health is, excuse me, why do you think mental health is so important for the student athlete, yeah, but more specifically the black student athlete? Essentially, you need your brain to function. And when your brain isn't uh, functioning at, at a high level because it's hurting in a certain area, then it's going to create barriers for you to get to that next place. And so I always am an advocate for people seeking mental help in, in order for them to be fully be themselves, because when those barriers are placed in front of you and you can't get out of your own head, it's going to show physically and it's going to always create different levels of stress for you. And so especially for the black athlete, because so much is placed on a black athlete from a monetary standpoint, that it's a lot of pressures for you to be able to perform in those areas. But you also know when you're not competing, there's a lot of stressors placed on you just because of the color of your skin. And it takes a toll on you mentally. And for those who don't seek help and somebody who may be listening to this, that may be on the verge of maybe I do need to go see somebody. I hope this is a message for you to, to push you over the edge to go seek some help because we all need it. And it all looks different from for, for everybody, but you need your brain to function. And if your brain isn't healthy, if you aren't getting the, the proper things to be able to strengthen that, then you're going to continue to struggle. And just to, just to jab at it a little more, um, you know, just, I think, you know, in the black community, sometimes mental health is slighted. So why do you think that, uh, why do you think it is slighted in the black community and why we don't pay uh, more attention to it in, uh, how do you think that even contributes to more stress and more mental health issues for the black student athlete when it's coming from their own home? I think because for so long as a culture, we've learned how to deal with oppression and that's pretty much what we've been taught and it's been passed down and it's become a part of, of some lifestyles. It's become a part of some cultures, not, not saying that that's something that's very healthy, but it's been something that's pa been passed down for so long that a lot of people don't even realize what they're doing. You know, they're, they're putting it to the side. They're never addressing the issue, but they're continuing to sink uh, from a mental health standpoint. And so I, I think in today's world, it's probably been the most prevalent that I've ever seen all cultures wanting to seek help for their mental health. Makes sense. Makes sense. So, you know, you started here as an academic advisor. You transitioned to uh, a role in student athlete engagement, and now you are the director of administration. Uh, so take us through your daily routine. Uh, what goes in at the day at the office for Jonathan Wallace? I think for so much of what goes on at the office, I have to be prepared before I even walk through the door. And I know the things that set me up to have a successful day. So one, when I talk about discipline, this goes back to when I was in college, I've probably spent, and even in high school, I've probably spent more days from the age of 15 up to now getting up before 6 a.m. And that's something that I continue to do. Uh, my alarms are set between 4.30 and 5 o'clock to get up and go to the gym every single day. And I know that starting my day with a nice workout gets my brain flowing in the right way in order to be able to walk into the office. And so I get to the office in between about 7.30 and 8. 
and I just look through my calendar to see what things are coming up. And there's, there's going to be meetings, there's going to be travel, there's going to be tasks, requests to get done. And understanding how to set up for those, what the preparation looks like for certain meetings, uh, what the preparation looks like to, to set up for different types of, excuse me, travel arrangements and things of that nature. Being prepared and understanding where information needs to go and how to get get it to people is something that I pride myself on. I pride myself on responding to people at work. I pride myself on following up, communicating, completing tasks. And it's the little things that I've been able to do day in and day out that have got me to this point. And I'm also seeing it as a separator for why I'm able to sit in the seat that I'm in and have been given so many opportunities it's because I'm trustworthy and I've been put in different spaces to where it's time to perform all of those small tasks and, uh, are on display for the world. And I've been able to do that because I prepare day in and day out. So I get there 738. I'm looking through what I have to do, go to certain meetings. I have conversations with our athletics director or some of our deputies within the office, seeing some things that they need to get done. And I'm just somebody that makes a task list, understand what it takes to complete that task and finish it. If I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to get it done. If you ask me to do something, I'm going to get it done. And the more you grow, the more you will realize that a lot of people don't really stick to their words. And so they become untrustworthy or they speak so much that there's not a lot of action put behind it. And so I pride myself on if I say I'm going to get something done, I'm going to make sure I get it done. A lot of words that I heard just being repeated for you was just the power of preparation and, you know, just always being prepared, being that trustworthy person in the office. Um, having that be a separator for you and how you are able to get into these rooms that you're, you're now, you're getting into. So can you just touch base on how important, how powerful the power of preparation is? Absolutely. Because you're, you're, when the opportunity comes, the time to prepare is no longer. And that's why I, I pride myself on what are the things that I need to do to be prepared for a certain situation? My mentors who who speak to me, that's something that they may mention sometimes, but they know that's not something that they need to harp on. So if I know I'm having a meeting at nine o'clock, I know what time I need to be in the office. I know what the meeting is about. I know the speaking points that if something comes up where I need to speak, I know what to expect from the meeting. I know what the follow up needs to be after the meeting. So I'm already thinking ahead of what that next meeting looks like. Um, I'm already knowing the people who are in the room. I'm knowing the why. And it makes those interactions go a lot more smoother because you're prepared for for uh, different meetings in different situations. And so it's the little things. How much do does it matter to you? I can definitely say there are some meetings where I don't look forward to going, but I know that they are important for me to be there. And I'm paying attention. You know, I'm making eye contact, speaking well, and I'm speaking to things that I know that are going to come up that I need to know about. I, I don't like being caught off guard. I don't like looking unprepared because it looks very unprofessional to me. And if I want to hold myself to a high standard and if I want people to take me serious in the spaces that I'm in, I have to show how serious I am about my work. Wow. It's dropping knowledge, dropping, dropping big facts. Man, I need to start taking notes, but uh, moving forward. My last question for you, man, what is next for Jonathan Wallace? I think what is next is opportunity. I don't have a specific timeline. I didn't think that I would be here. Didn't even think I would be in this type of position. I just think 
continuing to do what I do day in and day out, the things that have gotten me here, and definitely some things that may challenge me in the future and to show opportunities of growth. I think it's gonna set me up for whatever is next. I have no clue when that's going to happen, what that looks like, how long it would take. To me, it doesn't really matter because I'm not somebody who operates on a specific timeline I, and I love what I do. And so you kind of lose track of time. Like I remember your first day on campus, Chase Lane. Mm -hmm. You are now a graduate of Texas A&M University. It seems like it was just yesterday that I had stepped into a role. I didn't really know all of the players. I didn't really know the landscape, but I was going to figure it out. I saw some lost young freshmen whose eyes were wide open in college, 17, 18 years old, ready to have a good time. And to see that maturity process within you, I know that I'm maturing myself because I've been along that journey with you. So I think what's next is opportunity. And what exactly that looks like, who knows? Man, that's a that's a great way to cap it off, man. So uh, thank you again, Jonathan, for, you know, coming on to the show. Uh, like I mentioned before, I, I consider you a big brother. I consider you a mentor in my life. It was uh, helped me uh, ride this roller coaster called college, man. And, uh, you know, just coming on the show and just just dropping gems for everybody who who tunes in. So um, I'm really looking forward for people to hear what you have to say and to learn more about Jonathan Wallace, the man. And you know, just thank you, man. So any any last comments from you? I would definitely say I'm proud of you for the journey that uh, that you've embarked upon at Texas A&M. I know that you have a whole lot more in store in the years to come, and I'm not far removed from, from where you've been, uh, but I can definitely see the maturation process happening, doing the right things, being around the right people. It's definitely going to pay off, and I hope that it's inspiring the next generation of college student-athletes to embark upon a journey that you've uh, finished yourself. Love, man, love. Appreciate it, man. So thank you guys again for tuning in for another exclusive episode of Be Part of Aggieland. You got to hear some some takes about me for the quote of the day. And uh, we went to talking about Alabama. And then you guys got to hear some 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 very uh, great gems and some great knowledge from Mr. Jonathan Wallace. So I want to say thank you to everybody who is just continuing to show support in the podcast. Um, hopefully it is resonating with each and every one of you guys in some kind of way. Uh, I know I love doing it and I love delivering content. So make sure if you have not yet, go to your friends, your uncles, your aunts, your mom's brothers, your sister's brothers, whatever it is, go tell them to go get their season pass so they are able to listen to exclusive content like this every Thursday. And uh, yeah, man, can keep just sticking with me, guys. And uh, I'll be here throughout the year. So uh, yeah, I'm out. Peace. Peace.